0: Back to Sancho's boys. This is your co-host Tim Amatuli,
1: and I'm Chris Cote.
0: And we're back today talking about the lower depths from 1957, based on the early 1900s play by Maxim Gorky. I believe that's how it's pronounced. I have no idea.
1: Yes, I want it to be Maxim, but I think it is just Maxim Gorky. Maximum Gorky. The only thing I know about him, he was an early creator of socialist realism or something, or social realism in his plays, which just means that it's about poor people and it's like realistic. <laughs> yeah, and that shows. And that's literally the only thing i know
0: oh yeah so like the idiot for dostoevsky now kurosawa has adapted another russian author this time of a play instead of a novel and the play the lower depths is set in imperial russia but instead kurosawa has set his film of it in the Edo period japan which is between the 16 and 1800s so it uh, worked really well
1: last time let's see how it works this time <laughs>
0: I wish I knew something about the play before going into this, but from what I've read, this is a very faithful adaptation. I believe it. Kind of like how Kurosawa just couldn't bear to part with certain aspects of Dostoevsky's text. He does so here as well, where a lot of it is just verbatim straight from the play, not changed that much. Even more so than Throne of Blood, a accurate adaptation of a pre-existing work.
1: Yep, I'm not surprised. He is really into that. He really likes to cue close to, especially like stuff he venerates a lot. I'm sure with Shakespeare, it's like, that's a lot older and like a lot more people adapt it in a lot of ways. Whereas this was, you know, composed in, I think, 1903 was when the play came out.
0: So not too long ago, and he likes to be faithful. Then he did it. He loves Gorky. And literally, it seems like every other chapter of the Donald Ritchie book starts with a quote from Kurosawa where he says, I've always wanted to adapt a so-and-so piece of work because he said the exact same thing about Macbeth, said the exact same thing about the idiot, where he's like, I've always wanted to adapt the lower depths or just a play from Gorky. Good on him for having goals and seeing them through.
1: There's nowhere this man would have rather been born than like 1870s Russia.
0: I feel like there isn't too, too much to cover on it in terms of background, because it doesn't seem like a whole lot went wrong with it. And it seems like a pretty pared down production, especially when compared to Throne of Blood, which was so huge. One thing to uh, make note of, this is the first time in a decade that we do not have Takashi Shimura in a Kurosawa film. Sad. He
1: would have been so good, too. I was thinking about that. I was like, why is Takashi Shimura not in here? But whatever. It's fine. Miss him.
0: After 10 years, it's not since One Wonderful Sunday have we seen a Shimura production. I think he was finally just like, please, let me take a vacation.
1: I'm one of the most important actors in Japanese history. Can I just like vibe for a minute? Like, can you please do this one without me?
0: Kurosawa was like, okay, I guess I'll just use every other actor that I have.
1: Yeah, every actor you've ever seen in a Kurosawa movie.
0: The play itself is such an ensemble that Kurosawa has such a great company of actors to work with in Toho. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got Toshiro Mifune, obviously, in what's kind of the main character of this play, but I would argue that the main character is actually Kahe, played by Bokuzen Hidari, who's been in a lot of these other films. He's got the weird scrunched up face.
1: Yeah, he just looks so old. He's in here even less than Mifune is, but he still feels like more important to the actual way the plot works.
0: Is he? I I truly, I'd have to do like a side-by-side counting the screen time of each because it feels like he's in it a lot more.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, in terms of, like, beginning and ending. Like, he shows up after Mifune, and he leaves before Mifune.
0: Difficult as it may be, I guess we'll try and tell you what happens, but, uh, if you know the play, that's what happens. Yep.
1: If you don't, the way it happens in this movie is... <laughs> in Ito period Japan, Rokubei and Asugi rent a rundown room to extremely poor people, including Sudokichi, who Asugi is having an affair with. The arrival of Kahe provides some semblance of hope to the residents, who each tell him their tales of woe. Asugi wants Sudakichi to murder her husband so they can run away together, but Sudakichi wants to get Asugi's abused younger sister, Kayo, to run away with him instead. While trying to save her from another beating, Sudakichi accidentally kills Rokubei, and he and Asugi are arrested.
0: But there's also a lot of other stuff, but it's pretty hard to concisely write down. Even the Wikipedia entry of this film doesn't really do it.
1: Yeah, it's a play about people talking, and in that talking, pontificating on life, but, like, nothing much actually happens.
0: It took a little while for me to realize, oh, okay, this isn't really a narrative film at all. It's really just an atmospheric, immerse yourself in Edo period Japan and let's live amongst the poorest of the poor who pay pennies for rent per month and have a mean landlord, which, you know, I guess the struggles of today existed hundreds of years ago.
1: Yeah, except the rent was cheaper then.
0: Uh, just, I, I got a lot of One Wonderful Sunday in this one too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really in the most bare bones version of the plot, the old man shows up, talks to these poor people, leaves, a murder happens, and then they party and that's over. It seems like at the heart of it, the play is about what this kind old man, like, means to this group of people when he shows up, speaks to them, and leaves. And, like, whatever, like, the lessons he's teaching, whether they're true or not, that's what it's about. More so than, like, any individual action.
0: The main takeaway is that Kahe gives these people hope, and they need that to live, but even he doesn't necessarily circumscribe to it. He just knows that it's important. And kind of tries to convey that to other people.
1: He just, like, shows up doing empathy to this group of people who have never had any.
0: I really had to read the Donald Ritchie stuff to get a better grasp of what I had watched. He seems to really love this one because he delves into a lot about the characters in here with his theory of, you know, illusion versus reality in Kurosawa is pretty much all we talked about in that chapter, because all of these characters misconceive who they are. And Osen, the prostitute, talks about being in love with one man or another, but she's really not. She's just kind of alone. The tinkerer thinks he's still working hard, but he's not really working on anything significant.
1: Yeah, yeah. he's like, if I work hard, I'll be free as soon as my wife dies. and His wife dies. He's like, what, what do I do?
0: They're all thinking that they're one thing, but preventing themselves from realizing that they're not, because it hurts too much to live in reality, so they have to keep up some form of illusion. I feel like
1: the only one who was really vibing was Yoshisaburu, the gambler.
0: And Unokichi, the cobbler.
1: Oh, he was also vibing, but in a completely different way. The movie has themes, it just doesn't have plot or story, which makes it a lot hard to talk about in a podcast.
0: In our pre-show talks, we were pretty much saying, I don't really know what I'm about to say as soon as we hit record. Because it is a film that I feel like you feel, but you don't necessarily really talk about. (laughs) Like, I get it. Being poor sucks, I'm well aware.
1: I was going to make a joke called uh, The Louder Depths, because this movie features the most screaming of any (laughs) Kurosawa film, I think, before and after. (laughs) Which you wouldn't expect, because when they're not screaming, they're pretty much quiet. (laughs) But then they'll scream for like 10 minutes on screen time.
0: Another reason that there isn't quite as much to bring up is that, not since The Men Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail have we seen Kurosawa be this pared down and restrained. We have two sets in this whole movie. That's it. And I think Kurosawa does a great job of utilizing the space and showing us it. We start out in the lower depths, great shot looking up, panning around, and we just see these towering walls that lead up to the rest of society where people dump their trash. We stay down, and there's really just one big building that's run down and everything, and that's where people pay rent. And then there's the courtyard, and in the courtyard is the little house that the landlords live in. And that's it. We never leave. That's our inside the house and outside the house. After Throne of Blood building multiple castles and everything, and this is the same year as Throne of Blood, too. Both films came out in 1957. So how about Two Rooms? We don't even see into Tsutokichi's room. He has his own little bedroom area. They keep opening the door and going through. I don't even think we go in there. Yeah, I thought they were in at
1: one point, but like, not really. <laughs> Maybe when he's talking to Rasugi, but like, even then, I'm not sure. I wasn't sure where they were. Someone was looking through the door and they were like, yo, fuck off. Then they were like, suddenly outside the room. And I was like, wait a minute, where are they? <laughs> but it doesn't really matter.
0: I think the design and everything is really great. It is just, I was always just looking at the ground, like how much crap there is all over them that they'd never sweep up. They keep talking about cleaning the house, but no one ever actually does. And like, I don't even know what that would mean osugi comes in and she's like you better sweep this house otherwise the health inspector or something will shut us down i'm like there's no way that anyone is even in this era right now apparently you know doing a little bit of history reading also this is really at the fall of the samurai and this is where a lot of samurai become masterless and become ronin we do see one of the characters is supposedly an ex-samurai and we do see another samurai very very late into the movie But this really is, like, everybody in the Edo period is poor and struggling. No one is happy. There's not a single happy character in this movie.
1: There's also, I mean, the movie plays a lot with authority and power. Whereas, like, there is the landlord, and he does own it. But, like, he also can get thrown out of his own house by Sudokichi because he's literally just stronger than the landlord. He just picks him up and throws him out.
0: Yeah, he has no way of actually enforcing anything.
1: The landlord has, like, this brother who is, like, a deputy for the law, which, like, kind of embeds him with some authority until the crazy drum guy just steals his, like, little stick of honor. <laughs> and then he, like, literally has no power. I always got confused because they kept talking about a place called Ayako, but also Okayo was a character.
0: Yeah, Osugi and Okayo are siblings, and both romantically entangled with Sudakichi.: Yeah, the only hot man <laughs> available. The hottest commodity in Yudo, Japan. Being poor doesn't affect how good he looks. But we'll get to that later.
1: (laughs) Yeah. By virtue of being young and hot, he is, like, basically in charge of the whole place and everyone respects him.
0: Yeah, he steals stuff and sells stuff. I feel like he probably even steals from the landlord and sells stuff back to him, I would imagine.
1: That's possible, yeah.
0: The real only way to really divide this movie is, like, we have the plot about Sudokichi and the landlord family, and then we have everybody else and Kahe is like two things kind of running in parallel one of which is a discernible plot and the other one isn't quite as much yeah kai like also interacts with that situation with
1: Sudokichi and the landlord.
0: yeah but he he has stuff with the other people whereas sudakichi inter- interacts with them but doesn't really suffer in the same way that the other people do
1: yeah he's like clearly you know the one that could get out of there whereas the others say they will but you know it's not true
0: yeah, he has potential, and that's why he wants to grab Okayo and run off to, I believe, Hokkaido, where the idiot took place. Not sure if there's any connection there. Sub like, they'll go there, and then I'll make the idiot again, and I'll make it right. Yeah. You gotta go there, you gotta
1: find a man named Prince Mishkin, but in
0: Japanese. But he's actually been secretly sleeping with Osugi, the landlady. Secretly, but everybody knows. Yeah, a secret that I think that even the husband knows. And he's just like, oh, I'm really upset that you guys are doing that. Damn. She wants him to kill roku and then they could run away together. And he's like, yeah, mm, I'd rather not. I'd actually rather marry your sister. The weird thing with the
1: sister is, one, Akai doesn't seem to want to marry Sudokichi, But then Asugi's like, fine, you can have her if you want, but only if you kill my husband. And then the husband dies. And then the sister's like, wait, you're planning to run away together? he was like no and then she's like yeah no that's what it is
0: there's all sorts of weird stuff when rokube eventually dies because i don't even really see when he gets killed there were punches but i didn't see what i thought was a killing blow
1: mafune throws him sudakichi grabs him by the collar and then like throws him away and that's when he falls over and dies but like way too far away from where they were it doesn't actually make any sense spatially he like falls into an alley
0: yeah i w- when they go over to his body i didn't even realize that it was the landlord i thought it was someone else
1: yeah me neither because he's so far away
0: i've seen where these people live there can literally just be people sleeping on the ground
1: yeah i thought it was just like a dead body that no one noticed <laughs> until that <laughs> point which is like totally reasonable but no it's when sudakichi grabs him by the collar and throws him back it's a little weird the way it's shot because you just see him like thrown off screen you know and then he's dead like a minute later
0: it's all sorts of strange, and then people show up to arrest him, and he also gets Osugi arrested. Yeah, that's like the climax of the film. All those people were showing up before all that was happening. I imagine that people just heard there was a lot of screaming and that someone was getting hurt. Because the whole confrontation begins because Rokubei and Osugi are beating Okayo. Yeah, for like unclear reasons. Everyone bands together and rises up against the ruling class.
1: Yeah, peasant rebellion against their peasant landlord.
0: I do love everyone running into the landlord house and oh, it rules. one of the guys like steals the sacrificial offering and eats it and some of them just sneak in a quick punch at the landlord and <laughs> mocking like, yeah, I punched him in the face because I could because it was chaos.
1: Kichi walks in and just throws all his clothes on the floor for fun.
0: He pulls all the drawers out and is just banging on his drum that he's always banging on, which I love. We should talk about like Kaihei's character.
1: He's interesting. He comes in, he just kind of shows up randomly. He's guided in by Kayo. He's like, oh, I'd like to stay here for a little bit. As to, I guess just like another poor tenant is what it seems like at first. But he ends up being this guy who's wise in a certain way. He's very compassionate, for sure. He's like very nice to everyone, no matter who they are. He like tells people not to be mean to each other, even though they're always being shade to each other because they have nothing else.
0: I like him a lot. Me too. I like characters that are just a little bit like above human. You know, they're kind of a little bit transcendent. And he just has found peace. And you're curious about how he's done it. And I feel like something that they set up a little bit, but don't seem to quite follow through on, is that they're suspect of him. They're like, you're dressed as a pilgrim, but why is that? You know, like, kind of, what, what's, what's with that? I thought he was going to have a much darker secret than ever gets revealed.
1: Yeah, they, they definitely do play like there's something up with him, but maybe that, like, makes more sense than the play, and we just don't know.
0: I think it is just that they think that there's a lot more to him than there actually is. May like, have money or something? No, he, he is poor. I think he just is the kind old man. I I think the the revelation is that he doesn't even fully buy the things that he's selling.
1: Yeah, okay. I think there's two things. It's like, what the people actually inside are saying about him is like, oh, you know, he's being really nice to everyone, but maybe he's like full of shit. Whereas like the landlord said, like, you're dressed like a pilgrim, but I don't buy it. And I don't know what that was about. Like, I don't know what he was accusing him of being. But That's like right before he runs away. The thing that makes him run away is someone says, oh, you should come as a witness to like her being beat. And he's like, witness? (laughs) I don't think so. And then he like scrams which was very interesting. I feel like that meant something, but I don't know what.
0: Yeah, potentially something that's lost in translation, or just maybe us focusing on a detail that is just a minor one that was kind of said in passing. It's hard to tell because a lot of the film, I mean, again, I feel like the film is very immersive, but isn't particularly as engaging as a lot of the other ones, just because it feels a little bit aimless. You just kind of don't really know where it's going, and whenever one of the landlord people or Sudokichi's on screen, I know that I'm in some sort of subplot. But all the other ones, it kind of reminded me of a Bellatar film, where it's a lot of sad, miserable people trying to have fun any way they can. They're gambling and laughing, or they're drinking, or trying to do anything to pass their miserable lives by. And there is an enjoyment to that, but it isn't an enjoyment that is very comparable to any other Kurosawa film, I believe.
1: Yeah, definitely, in quite literal terms, they don't go anywhere and nothing changes, except for the landlord dying and, like, the two people leaving. But, like, yeah, whenever you're following the other characters, from the beginning to the end, nothing has changed and, like, nothing has happened. They haven't gone anywhere. Maybe they've changed, like, personally, like, the wife dies, but...
0: Yeah, So something that reminds me a lot of a Naruse film, there has been a lot that's changed, but it's entirely internalized. Other than that, these people are still bound by the same miserable lives that they were already leading. They're still poor, they're still living in absolute crap conditions, and some of them have a renewed sense of hope in the future, and, you know, when they finally start to enjoy it, they get the news at the very end that the actor has killed himself, and the actor is a pretty recurring character. He's got a funny line about his... Vital organs because he keeps getting the word vital wrong, which is a really strange I don't even know how that translates from one language to another to have an incorrect pronunciation
1: Yeah right he must be missaying it in Russian so they have to mistranslate it in Japanese and they have to missay it in English too.
0: I'm always imagining like the caption with the beat emoji <laughs> <It's>, like, his <laughs> my vital pal- organs:
1: yeah he's interesting. He's like the most innocent one just because he's like totally fucked from alcohol poisoning.
0: His memory is leaving him, and he is trying to remember a kabuki play that he did, but he can't remember the lines, and eventually the pilgrim-slash-priest, Kahe, tells him, oh, there's this temple that can cure you for free and all that, and he kind of renews him with some hope, and then I think it's just after everything happens, he sobers up and loses it and winds up killing himself. There's a lot of little details like that with a lot of different characters that are kind of tough. I feel like some characters go through their own little arcs, I
1: think Tomokichi, the Tinker kind of changes. At the beginning, he's just, like, just a huge asshole. He's like, oh, I'm gonna work my way out of this. Like, I will over... I'm not like the rest of you. I I haven't given in to just being poor. Like, I'm just, like, a temporarily embarrassed middle-class person.
0: That's, like, the illusion versus reality, is this guy thinks that he's still a tinkerer, and he's not. He's just scrubbing the same pot. And his wife is sick and dying behind him, and he completely ignores her. His back is always facing her. He doesn't like when other people interact with her. It's really strange... I want to call out that actress, Eiko Miyoshi, because she's been a pretty recurring Kurosawa actress that we haven't mentioned yet. She was in No Rest for Our Youth, and in Throne of Blood, and in a ton of others. Yeah, she does a great job. I think that her performance as a sick person is one of the best I've ever seen. Those coughs were brutal. I was like, damn, this woman is actually dying, and it's upsetting. (laughs) We've seen a lot of sick people in a lot of these movies. Usually they have tuberculosis, and they're just kind of sitting in bed sweating.
1: Yeah, normally it's just they have like eyeshadow on. They just like, have like weird makeup. But no, she actually really seemed like she was dying.
0: Yeah, like more than any other movie, I felt like I was watching a actual terminally ill person on screen. So good on her for that. I think the entire ensemble cast is really, really great, which is exactly why they can pull off this kind of movie.
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone does a bad job in the role. Some of them are like less memorable. There was like a few characters I literally just couldn't tell apart. I do think that there are also some people that just come in and out. Yeah, there was like three guys who were like the gambler, but weren't him. I didn't know who they were. (laughs) Onikichi is like very well established as a character, but isn't actually there ever except for like five minutes. Tomokichi, like, I feel like actually has the most of an arc for a character (laughs) where he starts just like this temporarily embarrassed guy, his wife dies and he goes completely fucking insane for like one scene. And then by the end, he's kind of like a normal functional guy again. He like fixes Onikichi's drum. Then he's like laughing with everyone else. He's like with it. He still sits away from the group, but he's like still playing with them. He like sings their song at the end in what was actually an awesome scene. All the singing was amazing.
0: That singing scene in particular reminds me of Bellatar's Satan Tongo, which has a 10-minute scene of people just drunk dancing and singing, and nothing happens. Awesome. And that's about four and a half hours into the film.
1: <laughs> that scene, I don't know about the Bellatar film, but in this movie, uh, every time they sing it rules, because it's actually like very good. It's extremely catchy, uh, and like sounds really good. So that was really fun. You know, of course, it has to be ended abruptly the way it is in the end, with uh, the death of the actor.
0: It's a Kurosawa musical.
1: The first time they sing and they're just gambling and they're singing a gambling song. Uh, It slaps. It's like really fun. I was like, wait a minute, this movie's like actually catching my attention a little and then that stops.
0: I don't know if you really got this because I didn't really get it that much, but The Lower Depths has been described as a comedy and I didn't quite see that, but I kind of get it a little bit in theory that it's super dark.
1: I think this is one of the less comedic versions of it. I mean, like certainly there's like funny things like the drummer guy who's crazy is supposed to be like funny being the plot is supposed to be funny. I think, like, the actor being, like, drunk as shit, even though it's sad, is supposed to be funny. I can see how a lot of it, like, would be very black comedy, but I don't know about overall.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not a knee slapper. Yeah, yeah, it's not
1: like an Abbott and Costello routine. I think it's, you know, a very, very dark comedy.
0: It could also very well just be stuff getting lost in translation, and I think that we're supposed to find humor in the fact that these people are so different from what they claim to be, but I find it just more sad, <laughs> like... It's kind of the same way that people can interpret the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a comedy. It's like, I can see the argument, you could write that paper. For me, watching it, it felt very somber with moments of levity that I think you need to carry a film like this.
1: I think some people say, based on, like, basically only the criterion description, is that this is, like, a more pessimistic version of it. The original is pretty pessimistic, but, like, John Renoir's version is a little bit lighter because he, like, still has hope at the time, but, like, this is considered one of, like, the more pessimistic versions of The Lower Depths.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I-, I wish that we could talk more about the
1: themes. Feels like that's all there was. There is themes and nothing else.
0: It's tough. I feel like a lot of it really washes over you. I also feel like Rosawa's techniques are a little bit pared down in this one as well. We do have some rain. We mostly have a lot of wind and everyone tells us how cold it is because they're always opening and shutting the door like it's the Hateful Eight.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say, it's very the Hateful Eight. <laughs> I wish they had the one scene where the guy's like, <laughs> <laughs> <Just> fucking... <laughs> Yeah, the- definitely the wind was like the main thing I noticed and then it finally rains.
0: By virtue of being so minimalist, Kurosawa's cinematography reflects that. We're only in, you know, I think he at least is able to find different angles in the main room that we're in for, I think, an hour and a half of the runtime, but it's hard to find stuff that's really standout because there's not a lot of movement. Because Japanese houses are built to be very rectangular and open, there isn't a lot of limited space or anything, so there's not a whole lot of crazy framing stuff that he can do. The same way that Throne of Blood and eventually Ron will feel is it is like watching theater. And I think that's part of the adaptation of theater. There's very few close-ups. We're seeing things wide as we would if this was on a stage.
1: Yeah, you can do theater in a cinematic way, but he was doing theater in pretty much a theater way. Like, it feels a lot like theater.
0: That seems to be his approach to theater specifically. He didn't do that with, like, The Idiot or anything that was really based on a book. And I think that he developed that style a little bit, because when I thought back to his first adaptation of a play, The Men Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail, there were a lot of close-ups in that, even though a lot of it was seeing it from a distance and seeing these two parties. I think he did treat that more like a regular movie, and then has eventually decided that his style for adapting theater is a little bit more rooted in the actual theatrical experience.
1: Yeah, like the actors and what they're doing within the stage and the scene.
0: Yeah, you can kind of stare into different parts and see what different people are doing at certain scenes.
1: I found myself doing that, trying to see what the gambler's doing with his, like, shitting grin, old people talking, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, cheating big men.
1: Yeah, cheating, the big men? Who, they kept cheating calling rich Cheating the man.
0: thickest man we've ever seen in the crew. Yeah, film. the absolute king. Tank. I love that guy. Oh, I wish I knew his
1: name. The one thing about adaptations of theater is, I always, like, ask myself, why did this have to be a movie? It could have just been a stage play, but all things considered, a well-made movie about a play
0: and kurosawa did have some dabblings in directing theater but obviously we don't have any evidence remaining of what the plays actually were like because they weren't filmed i think we've set our piece on lower depths so favorite shots
1: this is a this is a big one folks we were waiting for it the entire time we're on episode 19 now it finally happened
0: tim and i chose the same shot for our favorite shot the exact same frame. And I had a feeling it would be this one because I spent a long time trying to find any shot from it that I was particularly interested in. I felt the same way about I Live in Fear as well, where I thought we might have landed on the same exact one. But here it's finally happened more than halfway through.
1: Yeah, and I, I Live in Fear, there was at least like different locations. So you could like, oh, this is like an interesting shot of location. This movie, it's just every shot is a person in the room or a person outside. And that that's it. But we chose the one shot that wasn't, which is the way it opens.
0: Yes. Love the opening shot.
1: Yeah, it was a beautiful opening shot. The camera pans very slowly over like this ridge that if you look down to is where these people live. It's like a ridge where presumably like the actual people in society live. And it ends on these two people with trash and they're like, oh, there's nothing down there. It's just a trash heap. And they throw the trash down and the camera slowly pans down to reveal where they live.
0: Yeah, to to reveal the home that everyone is sleeping in. (laughs) I wish that he did it a little bit more, because I do like how Kurosawa incorporates the upward angle into his cinematography here to emphasize how low all these people are, because I thought it was a really cool way to do it. It's a really long opening. All of the opening credits play over the text as the camera is moving, and it does a full 360 degrees, and then the guys are there and they dump it, and it's like, okay, that's nice. I love that. This is a very
1: nice setup at the opening shot.
0: And here's another detail for you. Toshiro Mifune looks good despite being poor.
1: Yeah, he is like very clearly younger and hotter than everyone there except for the woman. His outfit kinda looks like shit, but he still looks good. He's just too young and fit to be convincingly poor and wretched. He almost looks a little out of place.
0: Yeah, he's not thin and starving. I do think that's also because he has a little bit more money than everyone else, because he sells people stolen stuff. He even gives money to some people.
1: I think most of those people survive on his income alone. Is his own room, which I assume he pays more for.
0: Yeah, or it's because he's in the pocket of big landlord. But yeah, German voting Highman Scale. Uh S-
1: yeah i agree with you right down the middle 9.5 looks good doesn't look amazing
0: he'll look better he's looked worse it's great overall i think the lower depths is solid i think it's a good film i don't know if that fully came through over our (laughs) discussion of it because it is just tough to convey that
1: kind of stuff here i don't know if i'm using this term correctly but it feels like very like i don't know maybe like modernist theater or something where it's just nothing happens but you still learn something by the end but that makes it you know by definition hard to talk about
0: I think everything about it is really well done. I think it's a very well-crafted film. I think it's made well. I think it's acted spectacularly. You have to go in knowing that it isn't really about the plot. It is just about being immersed in a world. Each person could find a different character to latch on to to kind of take them through that experience. And I think that on a rewatch, I think I would like it more because I might be able to... You know, first of all, I would go in with that mindset, but I would also be able to glom on to different characters that I might have ignored and get something new out of it. So I think it is a film that would benefit from repeat watchings, and I do plan on getting to that at some point. So, yeah, I, I think it's solid, and I'm going to rank it a 7 out of 10, a 3.5 out of 5, or nothing out of 4 because the scale doesn't translate that way.
1: I agree with the 7 out of 10, out of 5, arguably 2 to 3 out of 4. I went into it, I read a brief description of the lower depths of the play on Wikipedia, which said, this play isn't really about the play, it's more about the characters. And I was like, oh, that's good to keep in mind. So I tried to focus on the characters, and I do think that makes it a little more enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I, I switched my mindset halfway through because I was realizing, okay, this is not, this is totally not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna get this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think like, you know, like any Kurosawa film, for the most part, it's extremely competently made, good filmmaking, maybe just like not one. I don't think, you know, you really could have much better. Like, it just was what it was. It was good. 7 out of 10.
0: He really outdid himself with the scale of Throne of Blood, then the pendulum swung wildly the other way, and we wound up with extremely limited, the lower depths, and now we're going to swing a little bit farther back and go bigger with The Hidden Fortress, It's going to be a very fun the inspiration for Star Wars. I haven't watched this one in a couple years, so I'm extremely excited to check it out again and see it in context.
1: Yeah, I'm also very excited to see it for the first time.
0: It'll feel nice to see Mufune running around in those short little pants.
1: Hell yeah. (laughs) We might even do a bonus episode about it.
0: So yeah, check in with us next time for The Hidden Fortress.